I'm Dan, and I'm with Ben. We're the teaching pastors at Life Fellowship in Metro Charlotte, and we are in the midst of a series on basic Christian doctrines uh, and theology. And so, Ben, last time you you started, but you know, one of the things that you mentioned, and and I, I agree. We need to know where do we go, yeah. and we always have to go back to the 100%. Word of God. Yeah, I think what we covered last time was everything around it, and we talked about a lot of theological terms around the Trinity, and we talked about the history of the doctrine, but we really didn't get into what the Word of God says, which is our foundation. Like We've got to know where to turn to in the Bible to say, right here. Right. And so here's the thing that you need to remember. Number one... Um, there is no explicit verse in the Bible that says, thus saith the Lord, he is Trinity. Like, like they're no. just, just not. Is the word Trinity even used anywhere at all? Not, not, the the yeah. word Trinity is not in, um, it's not in scripture. Uh, and, and Dan, you might not have known this, um, but in our good old independent Baptist roots, um, that when you use the King James, there is a verse in the King James that, that refers to the Trinity. Did you know that? I didn't remember that. First John chapter five, it says, for there are, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy ghost. And these three are one. Now in every other translation, you will find that verse seven of chapter five in first John just simply says this for there are, for there are three that testify. And then verse eight says the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. What you will find is that when you study the history of First John chapter five or seven, is when the tra translators, when the when the people who want to come up with this newest translation, they want a a more uh, a better proof of the Trinity. And so I think it was Erasmus who basically said, "There, I don't see anything, but if you can show me a, a manuscript that has it, I'll put it in there." And they basically manufactured a manuscript with with created that verse out of thin air. And so the King James Bible, people who are King James only people, yep. you've got to realize there is a verse in your Bible that's not in any other any other the, the, it, 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 it is if you look if you look at any of the manuscripts that we have, you will not find that verse in the Bible prior to the 1500s. It just doesn't exist. And so uh I got a few people I'd like to call. You just right <laughs> I bring that up because I think all of us would have loved for God to include a verse like that in the mm -hmm. Bible that gives us kind of like, boom, chapter and verse right here. But what it forces us to do, Dan, I think is actually be a better student of the grand narrative of God's word. And it forces us to really um, stop trying to proof text yourself and really understand the nature of God. And so I, I bring up that illustration because if you have a King James Bible, as much as I would you you might love to use that verse as an as an as the proof of your belief in the Trinity. Um, that verse is highly highly suspect for anyone who studies textual criticism, and so um, it doesn't pass the test. But let's begin in the very beginning. All right, um, maybe you've heard this before, Dan, but uh, in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis one, God says, "Let us make man in our own image." Okay, mm -hmm. so who is the us and who is the our? Well, I've always believed and heard taught that that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. However, you've 
introduced me to some, <laughs> to some different uh, interpretations of it. Well, yeah, and and quite frankly, it was on my things of one of these things. I'm going to discuss this with Ben, uh, who you the are, divine counsel. You, yes, you you are my my resident uh, theological expert well, that, I, that I bounce stuff off of. So I so, read enough to be dangerous, but but okay, so. This verse right here, when you see, when it says, let us make man in our own image, um, one of the things, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I would use this verse as one that says, oh, see, there's, there's a plurality there. Mm-hmm. Elohim, actually, which is the term for God, the title for God in uh, the Hebrew is actually a plural noun, okay? But whenever Elohim plural noun is used, it uses a singular verb, which is not like if you realize grammar, that's it'd be something like we is going to do this. It, mm-hmm. It's not. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like it, it only sh- works if you're from West Virginia. <laughs> Send your letters to Ben. <laughs> oh man. Um, so so the idea of let us make man in our own image. There's two fundamental interpretations of that. The first is that is the Godhead talking. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit deciding to create man in, in its own image. The second theory is that it is the divine counsel. And so when he's referring to this, it's referring to the divine counsel that we find, he mentions other in other places and other times in scripture. So, you know, where you lean, I, I'm not going to die over this verse, but could it be used? I'll, I'll throw it in there as something that we want to might want to consider. Um, the second Really, when I'm going, I'm starting from the beginning and I'm working back because it's it's much easier to, to defend the Trinity in the New Testament. But I'm starting the Old Testament. One of the things that you'll you'll want to do is pay close attention to this person, this character in the Old Testament, and that is the angel of Yahweh, all right? Or translated, the angel of the Lord. And many times it's a capital A, capital L-O-R-D. When you see the angel of the Lord show up, he carries with him this the the nature and the authority of God. And so, for example, when God mentions that he is sending his angel before them uh, in uh, in Exodus chapter 23 verses 20 through 20, 22, he mentions his angel, his messenger, and this is not anytime you see the angel of the Lord, e- even Joshua finds sees the angel of the Lord. Moses sees the angel of the Lord and immediately take off your sandals because what you're standing on is holy ground. God is speaking to him, even though he's seeing the angel of the Lord. But what you'll find is that the angel of the Lord will speak about another Yahweh. And and Michael Heiser does a lot of great work on this. Again, he's a, he is a uh, New Testament or he's, he's just a biblical scholar and he's done a lot of writings on a lot of study on this concept of two Yahwehs. And what we mean by two Yahwehs, please don't make, we're not polytheistic, but his terminology is basically showing there are two persons that show up in in certain places where there is one person, which most likely is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus and God the Father. And so you have these two Yahwehs that are are being discussed or, or manifesting themselves to other people. And so the, the angel of the Lord is a great illustration. Um, do some homework, read where uh, you'll see these times where the angel of the Lord shows up and he's given the, the value and the worship and the honor of, of Yahweh and he accepts it. He embraces it. And there's times when other angels show up and people fall down and worship. He's like, hey, 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 don't do that. 
that's not for me. But anytime anyone does that for the angel of Yahweh, I get. I think we get caught up on that term angel. Simply just says the messenger of Yahweh. So it's 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 basically like this is I'm speaking for Yahweh personally, and what better person to do that for than Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know. So that's another thing that we see. We also see. Jesus brings up this idea in Psalm 110. It says, for the Lord says to my Lord, these two ideas that the Lord says to, that Yahweh says to Adonai, these are both terms used for God. And when Jesus brings up that text in Psalm 110 in Matthew chapter 22, he's like, what did, what did David mean when he says, the Lord said to my Lord? And they're like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to say right now. Because what Jesus is saying is, this is what we're talking about. These two manifestate these two persons of authority and deity that are one. And so the the doctrine of the Trinity is not this out front and center doctrine that you can just like, oh, that's right there. It was it is progressively revealed as scripture goes on. And I think that's really important to understand. Anything right now that I said that's no, off? No. Okay. All right. Let's get to the New Testament. So in the New Testament, you have a couple things that that scriptures that I would say I would point you to. First one is the baptism of Jesus. Right there, you have the Son being baptized. You have the you have the Spirit descending as a dove on Jesus, and then you have God the Father speaking. So you have the three persons in one place doing something. Okay, so we see we see the activity of the Trinity right there at the baptism of Jesus. I think that's significant because if you believe in modalism, that Sometimes Jesus, sometimes God shows up as Jesus, sometimes he shows up as, as the Father. That passage alone destroys that. Yeah. Because you cannot have Jesus being baptized and the voice coming from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There are obviously two persons at work there. Um another great passage is Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples baptizing them in the name of in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, there you have in the name, one name of three persons. So again, you see this unity in, in community. You see this, this plurality there um, of persons in one Godhead. And why would Jesus say that? Because he's he is declaring the three persons of the Godhead right there in, in the baptism of you know, when we baptize people, we say that to this day. So that's another one. Um, which leads me to one passage. I know we're bleeding into Christology right now, but the other one, the other passage I would really heavily encourage you to look at is John 1, right? John 1 is that one passage, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, um, what you will find is people that... Uh, you know, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they love that verse. You know why they love that verse? Hmm. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, Logos, and the Word was God. What what they love about that verse is they love that there's no def, d- definite article in front of theos, okay? Which typically there is. There is a, many times there's the definite article before theos, which is the Greek word for God. Um, and so you might be asking, why did John not put the definite article in front of 
in in the word was God. So what what they do in their translations, they they translate it in the beginning was the word, and the word was with Theos, and the word was a God. Because when ah. you don't have the definite article, you can add a instead of the. <clears throat> so what what was John doing? Well, actually, if you if you know your Greek, you know John is doing something really smart when he writes John 1 1 in the Greek. Because what he does is he emphasizes, he flips the word order in the Greek and emphasizes theos. So really in the Greek, if the, the word order you would want to put it is, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and God was the word. So the whole idea was, John is trying to thread the needle of saying that the fullness of deity was the word, yet he was not the father. Okay, so that's why he's using he's he's using a grammatical emphasis on the word theos, without using the definite article that might, some people might interpret as modalism. So it's this beautiful expression in the Greek that's able to say, no, there is this the fullness of deity that Jesus is, and he is God, but he is not God the Father. And that to me, John one one is the perfect example of this idea of the two persons of the Trinity with with being equal in essence, in in nature and uh, substance, and all, all all the things that you could possibly say. So, um, John one one is a is a phenomenal verse that you got to know when you're talking to people that come to your house and say, "Well, there's no definite article." Just be like, "Yeah," because what John is making sure of is they're not equating. Jesus, the Son, with the Father, as far as they're the same person. They're not the same person. That's what John's making sure that everyone knows. He is distinct as a distinctly a distinct person from the Father, but is no less God, uh, and is a part of that that Trinitarian uh, Godhead. So, lastly, and I, I think I mentioned this before, Ephesians one three through fourteen. What you have is you have the work of the Father. Uh, you have the work of the Son, you have the work of the Spirit in salvation from from predestination to adoption to redemption uh, to uh, sealing. All of, all of the work of the Godhead in the work of our salvation is present there, and it's, a, it's just a wonderful passage of Scripture to st- read and study. All right, so that's— I, I noticed you didn't use the one where Jesus himself gave testimony where he said, I and the Father are one. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's another one that, that's, that's great. I guess what I was trying to— point is all three of them yeah, together. And t- for me, that one stands out because he's talking specifically. And, and to me, it also goes to, to the complexity because he didn't include the Holy Spirit specifically, right. and yet he still said well, one. Really? Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because even in the Upper Room Discourse, John 14 through 17, what do you have? You have Jesus saying that I and the Father are one, and what, is he else, what, what else does he say? I'm going to send you a helper. Mm-hmm. And he... And it's almost like it's better for him to be with you than for me. Mm-hmm. So, again, you have the Trinitarian representation there in the Upper Room Discourse that Jesus is pointing to and saying, each one of us is doing something and will be doing something for eternity as far as uh, – for uh, I shouldn't say for eternity – for the work that's to be done here on earth when I die and rise again. Yeah. And so I, – I, I, I love the notion that one is one, two is one, and three is one. Yes, yes. And 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 so, you know, yeah. whether they're referring to all three persons at the same time or two of the three or just yes. one, yes. it's still all three and it's still one. 100%. Yeah. 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 So, well, 
again, going back to the scripture, I mean, when I'm with my life group, I always w- yeah. would say to them, I'd say, show me the scripture. Show me. <laughs> you got to You got to know the Bible. And I know it, it's, there's, it's tedious sometimes to go through these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, but with, like I said, this is systematic theology. This takes this idea and says, okay, give me, take all the, all the information and boil it down. What do I need to know about this? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the, the beauty of systematic theology. Excellent. Well, do you have any recommendations on where people should go? What should people there's should study? There's a great to... book. If you want to really kind of get out of, there's a book that I would recommend. It's a little heady, but I think it's also written for, um, for everyone in the church. It's not purely for pastors or theologians. Um, but it's a book, I believe the author's name is Michael Reeves. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. Hmm. And it's a great book to read if you're saying, okay, how do I devotionally and how do I relationally move forward in my relationship with the Godhead? Um, because I think what happens is sometimes we relate to the, this Trinitarian God, whereas like, man, I I kind of like enjoy Jesus. He gets us. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, the father kind of feels a little distant and scary to me. And the spirit just kind of feels like the force from star Wars. And so we don't really know how to relate to the persons of the Godhead, according to scripture, according to the way the Bible clearly outlines. So a great book for someone who puts together these theological ideas, but makes it very practical to how we live that out relationally with God is that book, Delighting in the Trinity. I would encourage anyone to read that. Excellent. Well, Ben, as always, thanks for your detailed, careful, and biblical explanation. Um, as always, we don't take just we don't take just the easy topics, do we? we? You know what's so funny is we have recorded four episodes now on the Theo proper. And I was like, we'll cover, you know, I'll do one on Theo proper, one on the Trinity. We have now done four. Yeah. I just, I, it's funny to me how we, I can't get through this, this content in 20 We minutes. did predict this. <laughs> like we all knew. No one's surprised. The audience is a surprise. <laughs> well, I mean, but I also, I also, hopefully this whets your appetite. Hopefully you yes. see these as appetizers to yes. a broader study. Um, you know, 100%. people who overly simplify you know, what Christians are, what they believe, mm. how they function mm. and so forth, uh, do so very superficially and ignorantly uh, because it, it, you know, um, uh, who was it that said the theology is the the queen of all the sciences. Yes, exactly. Uh, to understand everything else in the universe, you have to start with theology. Amen. So thank you so much, Ben. Thank you to our listeners, as always, for tuning in with us. And uh, we hope you share us on social media. As always, if you have questions, uh, comments, or input of any kind, you can send it to lifetalks at lifecharlotte.com. And until next time, thanks as always for joining us here at Life Talks. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well. So leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.